watch over our souls. And we thank you for the leaders that you have given us. We thank, uh, we thank you for our pastor. We thank you for Chuck. We thank you for his, his wisdom. We thank you for his faithfulness in opening the scriptures uh, that he's been uh, a faithful steward of your word for, it's got to be 50 years. It's just remarkable. And we're grateful for him. And we also think of uh, Billy Graham, who is 90, 91, 92, in the hospital right now. We thank you for um, his life. We thank you for uh, the obvious gifts that he has. And they're, just, they're, they're, they're gifts. I've heard Chuck say that. I, God just gave me gifts. And we praise you for those gifts. But we praise you for these men and their lives and the way they have lived their lives. Uh, we think of uh, Mr. Graham and the uh, efforts without question that have been uh, put into place to try to discredit him by digging into his affairs. And The great thing is when you're clean, you're clean. When there's nothing there, there's nothing there. And I think back uh, when I read his biography and in those early years when that team was just starting with um, Cliff Barrows and George Beverly Shea and uh, the Wilson brothers, that those guys uh, were in a, a hotel room in Modesto, California, and they made a covenant that there were certain things they would do and there were certain things they wouldn't do. And they watched out for each other for years and years and years. And we, we thank you for his life and for his ministry, and we pray that you will make him aware of your presence tonight as he's in the hospital. We, we know that he would long to be with you and be reunited with his wife. We pray, Lord, you, you have set the number of his days. And we pray that you would minister to him and encourage his heart and give him precisely what he needs. And we know he's not afraid of dying because he knows the truth and he knows that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You've called us to be leaders in uh, not so public uh, fashion. We all would uh, have smaller spheres than those two men. But nevertheless, we've been given stewardships, we've been given responsibilities, and uh, you assign us to our post, and every post is important. I remember reading that for every man that hit the beach on D-Day, there were 12 men backing them up in the supply lines, because you, you can't get an operation like that going without supplies without logistics, without men that are behind the scenes. So every position is critical and every position is important. We have a sphere of influence and people are watching us. We represent you. We want to do that well and we're all in process. We're all growing, we're all developing. At times we get uh, frustrated because we, the, we, we look at our lives and we feel that the growth is not as rapid as we'd like it to be. 
but we also remember when we were kids and we wanted to grow, we wanted to grow fast and I remember getting my mom and asking her to get that yardstick and my brothers and I, we'd line up on that kitchen door and she'd mark our height with the yardstick and we'd stand back and compare it to where we were just a few months ago. And sometimes we'd grown an inch or two and we didn't even know it. We didn't even realize it. That's kind of how it is in the Christian life. We're growing, but oftentimes we don't realize it. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for encouragement as we are in spiritual battle. And this is what we've been looking at all these many months now. We're wrapping it up tonight. We pray that you will enable us, Lord, to, uh, uh, to close this out with uh, real confidence that we have a source of power and a source of energy that keeps us going in battle and we're ready to, uh, to throw it all in. So thank you for these men. Thank you for their faithfulness. We uh, know that you will be with us and that you will continue to teach us as we go through the summer months. And then we ask, if you have not returned, by the time we kick off again in September, bring us back together for a new round of growth, we pray. Thank you for these men, that they would make this a priority in their lives. I pray that you will bring great favor upon every one of them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, guys, we have been in Ephesians 6, and uh, we're going to take a few minutes as we start, and before, that, we, we technically have finished the armor, but there is, there, there is, in the next breath, a critical piece that if you don't have this critical piece, your armor is not going to be what it should be, and that is the piece uh, of prayer. So we're going to look at that in a few minutes. But before we do that, as I had promised some guys, let's take a few minutes. Here's your chance. Uh, we're going to open it up for some questions. We've got a couple of mics going here, and uh, I promised Mike I'd go first. Mike was asking me a good question about when you are, and this just wouldn't be Ephesians 8. It's already got the question. Thank you. Here's the question. When you're getting to know the Bible and you're trying to find out what the Bible says about certain topics, um, anger, uh, fear, uh, discouragement, uh, hope, is there some kind of tool that will help you find the specific verses? And the answer is, Yes, and there are tools, um, unlike we've ever had before, that you can have easy access to. Um, there, there, is a, uh, there is a topical, there are topical concordances. There are Bible dictionaries. Um, there, um, and, and what websites would I send you to? Um, uh, you could go to the esvbible.com. They have incredible study tools there. Uh, you could, if you wanted to find out verses on fear, uh, Google in or Bing in uh, uh, topical, uh, topical concordance or topical study Bible, and it'll pull it right up. 
and then there'll be a slot, and you just type in the verses that you're after on, on fear or whatever, and they'll just, they'll give you a topical concordance, every verse in the Bible on that particular topic. So a lot of times, you know, the Bible can be kind of overwhelming. Um, it's, a, it's, it's big, as you know. And that, that enables you to get it kind of in bite-sized chunks. So very practical question. Okay? Somebody else? Rich? Right here. There's a mic for you. Okay. I've got two daughters who, in the last six months, have started what looks to be very serious relationships with Christian young men who happen not to be members of Stonebriar going here. Well, that's not and, right. Run them off now. I, the question I have for you is, when, when your daughter Rachel brought the young man home for the very first time, that and is what, now And what young husband, man are we speaking of? The one she married? The one she married. Or, okay. well, any of the them. ones, any of them. Yeah. How do you evaluate them? What did you, what did I, you yeah. do to, to ch or check them out? Well, I just have them fill out an application. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, we get a blood sample and DNA. And the credit bureau. You went to the credit bureau. What if they're broke and don't have credit ratings? What do you do? You know, you, you'll find that out too, won't you? Yeah, yeah. You, you know, I, that's a very practical question, and I think, uh, I, I think you know, obviously here, there's a fine line there because here's what I think. I, I've talked to some guys who weren't real involved in that when their daughters were going through the process, who have later said, I wish I had been more involved. They assume certain things. I have met other guys who, to me, uh, were involved to the point of embarrassment for their daughters, and uh, it really didn't help matters. I, I, th I think what you, what you need in that situation, I, need, I think you need a couple things. I think you need, uh, I would ask God for wisdom, I would. Uh, I think a lot of it depends on, on, on the maturity of your daughter, and on what you see in her life. Number one. Uh, I think the second thing would be if you have when you meet whoever this this guy is, if if you have immediate red flags, uh, I would listen to those and I would I would go with your instincts. And if you have immediate red flags, I, I think you, you, may want to, uh, you may want to get involved to protect your daughter. Now, 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 how do you exactly go about that, one of the steps? I don't know. It depends on the degree of the concern, you know? Uh, I, 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 I think... Once again, you need wisdom and you need discernment. The other thing I would do is I would get your wife's input on the situation. Because, again, you want to walk a fine line. You don't want to scare anybody away unnecessarily. You, you don't want to be, uh, you know, some big ogre and embarrass your daughter. But on the other hand, you want to... Here's what I think. I think guys need to know that you are a factor and a player in your daughter's life. I think back to girls that I dated, and I can remember the girls whose dads uh, had a presence. 
And I think you can too. I remember one guy in particular. And he wasn't, you know, he, nothing, he wasn't difficult or anything. He was just, he asked me a few questions, what we were going to do. He asked me where we were planning on going. And then he said, well, we usually uh, expect her to be back in at a certain time. And I said, well, sure, that's great. And I had her back, you know. So, I, you know, I just kind of proceed that way. And then, uh, and I just keep open, I would just try to keep an open channel with your daughter. Keep the relationship there and talk with her and let her know your concerns. I just did, hey, I don't want to be a difficult guy or a hard guy. I just, you know, sweetheart, listen, you're, you're, you're important to me. And so, sometimes it's easy. Some of these guys, you know, they, they come on, they make great first impressions. And, uh, but when you're, when you're my age and you've got some miles on the tires, you've seen a lot of guys. And so we'll just talk about it a little bit, you know. But I do think they need to know you're a player. Now, I don't know if I recommended this to you last time, but there is a book I've come across in the last year or so called uh, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters by Meg Meeker. That's an excellent book. She had a strong father, and she starts off the book... Uh, by talking about a guy she brought home to meet her dad and how her dad handled the guy, and she didn't like it at all. And uh, her dad was absolutely right. So, anyway. And then I'd get out the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and hit the guy right in the chops. <laughs> in, in Christian love, of course. Just metaphorically speaking. Yeah. Somebody else over here? Let's get this section. What do we got? David's right here. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Steve, you expounded on uh, being able to make up for lost time, and, and, and as I heard it, it, the Scripture supported that. Can you steer me in the direction of the Scriptures that support that? Well, I'd go to, uh, yeah, making up for lost time. Uh, so, sure, and that can be, a, it can be all kinds of different situations. Sometimes we don't come to Christ till later in life, and we look back over all those years, oh my gosh, or... A lot of times it's a fathering issue. Gosh, I wish I had heard this 20 years ago. Well, you didn't hear it 20 years ago. You've just heard it now, perhaps. Or uh, whatever it is. And then what happens is the enemy begins to work on us over the lost years. And what happens is we begin to develop, uh, in fact, in his book on spiritual depression, Martin Lloyd-Jones has a chapter called Vain Regrets that the enemy can tie you up in knots over, over a, uh, a dominating feeling of regret over your past that keeps you from being effective in your present. Uh, the classic verse to me is in, uh, is in Joel, in the Old Testament. I think it's Joel 2, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joel 2, uh, 24 and 25, 25, where the Scripture basically says, the, God says, the years which the locusts have eaten, I will restore. I saw a thing, uh, some documentary in the last couple of weeks, uh, and I'd referred to this, uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder, Little House on the Prairie. Uh, her dad was a farmer, and I think they were in Ohio, and then they moved somewhere further west, but he got wiped out four or five straight years by locust. 
And uh, they re in this documentary, they were reading the journals. And you, they could actually hear them. Everything was fine. Everything was normal. And then in the distance, they could hear. They could hear this roar. And it was a locust. And within a matter of hours, uh, everything green had been eaten. And when that happens two, three, four, five, six years in a row, I mean, you're finished. You're done. And eventually it finished your dad from farming. But what does the Lord say here? He says, the years which the locusts have eaten, I will restore. So you look back over those years, those lost years, and again, I'll refer to Martin Lloyd-Jones here because he had a great comment. He said, the great thing about God, the great thing about our God is this. Uh, if you've lost five years' crop, if you've lost 10 years of crop, God is so great that God can give you 10 years in one year. Can't he? Yes, he can. He can make up for you what you have lost. Uh, he can do it financially. He can do it relationally. He can give you a quality of life that you never thought was possible. Um, so that's the verse. That, to me, that's the key verse on vain regrets. Yeah. I saw some other hands right here, red shirt. Steve, you, um, you quoted uh, Hebrews 13, 17 in the prayer that yeah. you were saying just a second ago. Uh, to what extent do you feel... Um, uh, as far as submitting to the leaders of the church, um, do, to what extent do you think that there is some discernment that might come in on questioning um, how much to follow um, or how diligent and how, uh, even if they're wrong, like, do you still follow, like, the leaders? Or yeah. How, how, does that, how does that go? I mean, what's your opinion on that? Yeah. Okay, good. Anybody else have a question? <laughs> guy over here in the blue shirt. Now, see, look, here's the deal. On these Q&As, I'm not looking for penetrating questions. I'm not looking for hard questions here. I, I should have made that clear at the beginning. Here's the deal on leadership. Uh, any kind of leadership. You never follow a leader into sin. Ever. Ever. So you've got to make a judgment call. If you were called, see, that's how cults start. That's how Jim Jones got him to drink the Kool-Aid. Uh, it, it, you, uh, you, you never fall, a, a wife in a home, you know, the Bible talks about submitting to your husband. You never follow your, your husband into sin. That gal say, you know, my, my husband, you know, he, he's a Christian, you know, whatever that, you know. Okay. But he brought home this uh, porn stuff and he wants me to watch it. And I can't do it in good conscience. I said, don't do it. He's taking you into sin. That absolutely violates the word of God. You don't follow somebody into sin. Um, I think because, you see, leaders are accountable. Leaders are not the, the, the author, their authority God has put over us, but leaders uh, are subject to a higher authority, you see? And there are qualifications for leaders in uh, 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus. And so... You know, here's the deal. Generally speaking, if a guy, if a leader is a teachable man and a godly man seeking to follow the Lord, now nobody's going to be perfect, you see. And there's to be a plurality of leaders in a church setting, you see. It's just not a one-man deal. So I kind of think those are some general concepts. 
You look at the, is the guy teaching the word of God? Is the guy under authority? You know? Is he authoritarian? Uh, is, is he accountable to anyone? Uh, those would be some general principles. And I think there are some red flags that come up very, very quickly. You know? Uh, if a guy is saying one thing and, and you know in his own life he's living another way that is counter to that, you need to be really careful. And, um, and you probably ought to go talk to him about it. You know? Am I, am I helping you at all here? Uh, you mentioned about not being led into sin. Um, for example, like, I don't want to get into details of my situation, but yeah. um, uh, from not being in sin in a situation, um, for example, like I, I'm wanting to date a girl at my church that I've met. Um, she's part of the church also, and uh, I'm actually being told not to date her. Um, I haven't been in any sin with the girl. Um, I haven't even spent time with the girl um, outside of the church functions, being with the church. And uh, I'll tell you what, why don't we do this? Why don't we talk? Okay, yeah, I, I'm sorry about me. that. I'm sorry no, 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 about you're that. fine. That helps me to know kind of where you're going with this. That'd be all right? Yeah. Okay, that'd be helpful. So be sure and tackle me before you get out of here, okay? Uh, we got another one uh, right here. We got Roger, and then we've got back there. Hi, Steve. How are you, sir? Good. Good. Steve and I have done a lot of talking through the years. We have. Um, I'd, I'd like to uh, say something and see if you, if, if you can back it up, if you can support it scripturally. Uh, I've been married a long time. And like I think I can almost say all marriages, we've had struggles. Sure. Had some serious struggles at times. Sure. And uh, I heard it was either you or Chuck one Sunday a number of years ago now talk about crying out to the Lord. Yeah. And I mean, I was at the point of just giving up and saying, uh, not right. bailing. I've heard you say, don't bail. And that's absolutely right. true. Right. You don't bail. Right. But I, 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 just, I just got off and I just cried out to the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't understand. Yeah. I just don't understand. You know, why is she this? And why does she do that? And why does she do this? And why does she do that? And I don't go around talking about the Lord talking to me, but he talked to me. Yeah. He said, stop. I made her. She's exactly what I want. Yeah. If you've got an issue with your wife, bring it to me. And I want to tell you, that cleared my head up. Yeah. That cleared me up. I, I, I've got a great relationship with my wife, so much yeah. superior to anything we've ever had in the past. Sure. That just uh, yeah. thought I'd pass that on to some people who might be struggling with their spouses. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's, uh, you, you know, uh, and here's what I would say, knowing a little bit about you and your father and the kind of man your father was. Your father uh, modeled that, and you probably heard him say it over the years, words to that effect, and he lived it out. So you had a living model. Uh, some scriptural support would be 1 Peter 3, 7, you husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way. Uh, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. If, if we do not take our uh, husbanding responsibilities seriously, uh, it's so serious to God that you can pray, you can fast, you can do all, and God will not honor your prayers if you are not actively working on the relationship. Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
Uh, our job is to get hurt. Our job is, it's not that our wives are perfect. They're not perfect, neither are we. But our jobs are to live sacrificially and, and I think, die to ourselves in order to uh, maintain the marriage, maintain the relationship. And sometimes you get misunderstood. Sometimes you get criticized sometimes justly, sometimes unjustly, what do you do? You take the blows. You take it. That's what Jesus did. Don't return. And if you go back to 1 Peter 3, in the context there, in verses 1 through 6, he's talking to wives, and then in 7, he's talking to husbands. Uh, Live with her in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel, and uh, grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Um, and then it says this. It says, uh, don't return evil. Well, I, I got a Bible. Don't return evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. So let him who longs to see life and good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. You see, those words are in the context of marriage, aren't they? No, that's First Peter three. So in a marriage, do we don't return evil for evil? Does sometimes I do evil to my wife? Does sometimes she do evil to me? Yeah. Okay. Well, you don't return it. Don't return. Sometimes do I feel insulted or unappreciated? Don't return it. Don't return evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. How do you give a blessing instead? By keeping your mouth shut. Because it goes on and says, let. Uh, don't return evil for evil, insult for insult, but give a blessing instead for let him who longs to see good days. That's where you guys are. Everyone goes through stuff, but you're seeing good days. Let him, see, let him who longs to see good days um, refrain his lips from speaking evil and his uh, lips from speaking guile. What's guile? Deceit. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't, say that, it doesn't say that something unjust hasn't been said to you. It says you just don't return it that way. So guys, that uh, you've been through a divorce and you've got joint custody, and I, I hear this all the time. You know, when my kids are with my wife, she's always saying this and putting me down in front of the kids. Well, you take the higher road, and you be real careful, especially depending on the ages of your kids. And as best you can, you honor her because what's going to happen? Your kids are going to get older and older and older and older and older, and then they're what? They're going to figure it out. They're going to figure out who's got character and who doesn't. They're, they're going to figure out who's a manipulator and who isn't. They're going to figure out who's a liar and who isn't. When they're six or eight or nine, they can't see it. Let them figure it out all in due time. You see? That makes sense? Okay. Uh, do we have one right in there somewhere? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a follow-up on the Hebrews uh, quote. In Ephesians, it talks about that the struggle is not against flesh and blood, uh, which is the easiest because that's a one-on-one conflict, right. but against rulers and authority. Yeah. In, in the discussion where you're talking about Hebrews, where you don't let them lead you to sin, but how can we actively protect ourselves, uh, especially whether it's 
uh, the, you know, without getting political, uh, whether it's the president, whether it's the governor, whether it's the local sheriff, uh, rulers and, and authorities, we have to deal with those in a godly manner, and oftentimes they're not very godly. Right. Most times they're not godly. Because of Ephesians 6, because of the powers and the princes. Uh, what you've got, you've got a situation uh, in, um, in the book of Acts. Let me see if I can find this real quick. Yeah, in, in Acts chapter 4, where... Um, Um, in Acts 4, you got Peter and John arrested, and uh, people are coming to Christ left and right. The, the number of men who came to believe uh, were 5,000 in 4.4. Uh, on the next day, the rulers, elders, and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. These were the authorities. And when they had placed them in the center, uh, Peter and John, they began to inquire, by what power and what name have you done this? And Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, begins to speak. Um, verse 13, they observed the confidence of Peter and John, understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, but they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Now watch this. Um, then, they, then they go in the back room and try to figure out what they should do. Uh, they say a noteworthy miracle has taken place. We cannot deny it, 16. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to no longer speak to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John, now these, these had, men had authority over them. Now watch this. Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it was right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than the God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Uh, we, we, and Romans uh, 13 talks about obeying the civil authorities. But when the civil authority uh, commands you to disobey the word of God, that's where you stand. And then you'd be ready to take the consequences. There are Christians in China right now. If you saw World Magazine this week, there are Christians in China who have been meeting openly and there are police officers watching them, and every time they meet, they're going to see who they're going to pull out and put in jail. And they've been told not to meet, but in Hebrews, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. So they're meeting, knowing full well that they are, they've been told to violate the Scripture. They're going ahead, and they're ready to take the consequences. That's what you call courage. So uh, we, we obey the authorities. We obey the laws. God's put them in. But when they ask us to, obey, to disobey the law of God, that's where we have to take a stand. Yeah. Uh, right here, blue shirt. Um, I'm just looking around all these people here. Um, I don't know when, uh, when you started this, but I remember we, we met up in a little room. Yeah. And there was about 20 guys. Yeah. And, uh, I just want to thank you um, for doing this because you've been a huge mentor to me without even knowing it. Well, and I'm sure you. all these other guys too. So, well, I uh, thank you for that. really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. This is my cousin here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you.
Thank you. That was very nice of you. Yeah. We, where are we going? Scott, we're going there, and then we're going right here. Yes, sir. Steve, your take on suicide in the Bible. I'm against it. Going to hell or going to heaven? Well, it depends on if the person has been regenerated by the Spirit of God, if they're a believer. Um, and, and within Ephesians 6, within spiritual battle, I think sometimes people are tormented. Uh, they, they know Christ. I think sometimes uh, people can get uh, isolated from other believers. I think sometimes they can get out of the Scriptures, although they've been regenerated. They, they know Christ. They've called upon the name of the Lord, and they've trusted in Christ alone. Uh, I, I think there are times, I, I don't believe a believer can be, can be possessed, but I believe a, a, a believer can be oppressed. And to me, whenever there's a suicide, there's demonic activity. There's demonic influence. Uh, he is the father of uh, a murder, of murders. He was a murderer from the beginning. He was a liar from the beginning. Now, if they truly knew Christ, well, a suicide, murder is a sin. But when Jesus went to the cross, Jesus paid for sin. Jesus paid it all. When Jesus went to the cross, the question is, we have to ask ourselves, whether it's suicide or pride or lust or any sin, when Jesus went to the cross, uh, here we are. Jesus went to the cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus paid it all. Did he not? Yes, he did. Jesus paid for the sin of the world. He said to Telestai, it is finished. Paid in full. Uh, what that means is, is that the sin of the whole world was paid that moment when Christ uttered his last and gave up his spirit. He, he was the sacrifice. He was the perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So, what that means is, as I'm here today, I look back to the cross, the sins which I've already committed, with the sins which I've committed in my past, Jesus paid for on the cross. Uh, see, I guess my point, what I'm trying to say is, when Jesus died on the cross, all of my sins were future. All of them. So my sins of the past were future. The sins I commit today, Jesus paid for on the cross. They were future sins, but he paid for them 2,000 years ago. The sins which I have yet to commit, Jesus has already paid for. And people get worried about that. Well, don't teach that. People will go out and live like hell. Not if you understand. Not if you've been regenerated and come to Christ and the Spirit of God lives within you. Shall we continue in sin? Romans says that grace may abound. The answer is no. No. So, is suicide a sin? Yes. If a believer is tormented and for whatever reasons takes their life, is that a sin? Yes. Did Jesus cover that sin on the cross with his blood? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't have, I don't have, a, I don't have a doubt about it. Because if you say he didn't, then you've got a huge problem with the atonement of Christ. It was not sufficient. As Donald Barnhouse one time said, the hymn doesn't say Jesus paid it 90%. It says Jesus paid it all. Right? Okay. Scott, your best explanation about that you just mentioned a few weeks ago. Uh, thou shalt not commit murder. Yeah, it's a sin. I mean, you shall not, you know, does it say in the Bible suicide is a sin? Yeah, thou shalt not commit murder. Absolutely. But once again, sin is covered by Christ. Steve, um, I've been worried about our country, and uh, I wonder how much of what's wrong with America is spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. Yeah, it would be hard to know how much, but we know it's there, and uh, we, we know it's taking place, and we know that uh, 
We know that Satan is the god of this world. We know that in the temptation that, uh, uh, to Jesus in what? In Matthew 4, one of the things that he offered to him was, uh, was rulership of the earth. Um, you, you know, God has put boundaries on Satan, and, and, you know, Satan works behind the scenes. That's Ephesians 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Um, that's why we often see, that, that's why you often see horrible things going on within government. You see demonic things, just uh, anti-God, anti-biblical, uh, it just turns your stomach. But, but God rules Satan, and, and God uses all of those things. And even when, when Satan is uh, addressed in Isaiah 14 and in Ezekiel 28, the actual persons that are being addressed there are two human kings. But the things that are said of them can't be true of human kings. They have to be said of a supernatural being, which is Satan, who is the one behind them, and who indeed may even possess them. So how much of this is spiritual battle? Yeah, it's, it's there. there. There's no question about it. And you look at the end times, you, you, there's going to be an antichrist, there's going to be a false prophet, there's going to be no democracy. Democracy is going to be off the table. I mean, it's going to be, the plan of God is that one day democracy will be extinguished. And all the nations of the world are going to unite. And there's going to be one leader, the Antichrist. Daniel spoke about him in the second half of his, of his book. Uh, is that spiritual warfare? Yeah. Is Satan behind it? Absolutely. And it's all the plan of God. And then Jesus is coming back, and it's all going to get handled forever and ever. And he shall reign forever and ever. Don't you love that Messiah? So that's a, but and that in history, in eternity, that's just a brief interlude. Just a, just a blip on the screen. To us, it's huge. It's forever. Because we're in it. But it'll be handled forever. Yeah. So there's spiritual, of course there's spiritual warfare. You bet there is. And then God has his men. God has his Daniels. Doesn't he? Even in Judah and Israel, there were bad kings. Most of them were bad kings. In the northern kingdom, all they had were bad kings. But in Judah, you had some real good kings, some wonderful kings. And that's true today. God has his men. God raises up. God sets them down. But just know that it's never out of control. Never. It's never out of control. Yeah. Somebody else? What's, what's your deal? They're ignoring you, David. You're too big to ignore. We got one back here, then we'll go to you. Right back here. Yes, sir. What do you think that uh, churches as a whole across the country are scared to say that you feel that they need to be saying? One more time, please. Churches, uh, churches, are... churches across the, the United States, what do you feel that they need to be saying that they're not saying? The whole counsel of God. <laughs> In Acts 19, when Paul was departing from the elders at Ephesus, he said, I did not hesitate. I did not shirk back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Is there any specific point that you would think we're just, we're missing that? Or, or, some, or that the church is scared to say, I guess? Well, um, I, it would depend on the church. Yeah. It would depend on the group. 
because there are all kinds of groups that are, that are afraid to declare the whole counsel of God. Uh, but what I would, here's what I would say. You have to understand something. This is the Word of God. This is not Microsoft Word. Microsoft Word, you can highlight, you can cut, you can uh, paste, you can delete. You, can, you can't do that with this. And, and uh, let not many of you, James said, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, because teachers incur a stricter judgment. Every teacher is going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account of his teaching. Why did you not teach this doctrine? Why did you not teach this passage? So it depends, it depends on the church. It depends on the pastor. It depends. I mean, we got all. We, we, this whole thing's falling apart. So, you know what we do here, what Chuck does on Sunday morning, what a lot of pastors do? They teach through a book. Because that way, you're not hitting your hobby horses. You're not hitting your pet themes. You're, you just preach. What, what do you, you know, a lot of pastors, their biggest deal is, what am I going to preach on next week? Well, if you're preaching through a book, you're preaching on the next section. And the Holy Spirit is the one. You know, you just preach the Bible. And then that way, you cover what needs to be covered. You know? If you preach the whole Bible. Yeah. I mean, are there things I'd like to take a shot at now and then? Sure. Come over to my house. I'll do that in private, but, you know, we're teaching the Bible here. Because it, it's only the Bible that's going to set people free. And see, I can't presume to know what people need to hear. The Spirit of God knows. But what, here's what I have to say. I, I think we have to be fearless in declaring the Word. And it's been convenient in this nation for 250 years to be a Christian. It's not convenient anymore, and it's going to get worse. If you declare the whole house of God... There, there are going to be, listen, uh, some of you in your lifetime will see pastors jailed if you're young enough. If you don't think that's coming, you're kidding yourself. It's coming. Huh? Oh, well, maybe it's happened. Uh, I'm sure, and, you know, but, but I mean, we're going to see it. We're going to see it. Yeah. Uh, did I quote Robert Murray McChain last week? He said that if I knew that Christ was praying, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would be fearless. But he is praying for me. It's just a matter of distance. He's at the right hand of the Father. Distance doesn't matter. I've got to watch the clock here. Right here? David, I'm sorry. We'll, we're going to do David, and then we've got to cut it, because I want to wrap this up. This needs get, to be a really good question, David. Do you, <laughs> do you believe in once saved, always saved? And part two, can you lose your salvation? Well, here's what I believe. I believe, as I read the Scripture, that uh, in Romans 8, if you are elect by God. You have to go to Romans 9, you look at, look at Romans 8. Because you see, the, 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 this is where it all begins. We, we, a lot of times we have this view that someone comes to Christ just because they prayed to receive Christ. And that's, that's part of the picture. But uh, the, the reason that we come to know Christ, and I think I touched on this a little bit last week, just real quickly, if God left it up to us, there would be no one that would seek Him. There would be no one that would respond to the gospel. Because of Psalm 14, because our, our hearts are desperately sick and wicked. Can the Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Can the leopard change his spots? Then you can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. 
uh, of uh, uh, Ephesians 2.1, for we are, you were dead in your trespasses uh, and sin. You're dead. You're spiritually dead. And spiritually de dead men can't will to change their condition. So the only reason that anybody comes to Christ is that before the foundations of the world is that God chose. And God didn't choose everyone. And that's very hard. And immediately this is raising all kinds of questions. And I refer you to Romans chapter 9. And you just, and you just read it and you deal with it. And you're not going to like what you read. But it's the Word of God. And I, I'm telling you, it's in the Bible. So the reason that anyone is a Christian is because they were elect by God before the foundation of the world. They were called, they were chosen, and I'm not getting this in sequential order. They were justified, they're sanctified, they will be glorified. So those who God has chosen in eternity past are vessels of mercy and vessels and trophies of grace in righteousness forever, forever. They cannot lose salvation. They've been elect and chosen salvation. They've already been raised up with Christ in the heavenly places, Colossians says. Now, but on the other hand, Jesus said in Matthew 7, many will say to me on that day, Lord, we did miracles in your name, we cast out demons, and, he's gonna say, and I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. So in the church, there are false teachers. In the church, there are false prophets. And in the church, there are false believers. They have the wheat and you have the tares. You say those, hold on, hold on, ah, ah, listen to this, John Bunyan said this, when thou prayest, rather let thy, rather let thy heart be without words than thy words be without a heart. That's it right there. There are a lot of people in church that pray the prayer, that say the words, that walk the aisle, but it's external. There's no heart. There's no gut. There's no submission. It's external, right? But you see, Christianity is always an issue of the heart. God looks on the heart. I had a guy ask me uh, today, actually, about... Well, you know, the Lord's Prayer, and there's kind of the model prayer. And I said, yeah, and he goes, you know, and then you heard that little thing uh, for prayer, uh, the little acronym ACTS, you know, A is for adoration, C is confession. Uh, how do you spell ACTS? You see, T, T is for uh, Thanksgiving. Thank you. I'm kind of slow tonight. S is uh, supplication. He said, you know, sometimes I don't, Sometimes I, get the, I don't get that right. Sometimes I can't even remember it. And I said, well, that's okay. Because God's just, what do you think God's looking at? You think God's listening to your prayer and he goes, ah, he got that one wrong. <laughs> no, 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 no. Mm -mm. Now come back tomorrow. <laughs> no, you're going to summer school, buddy. <laughs> what does God look at when we pray? He looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. It's always the heart. Christ changes hearts. These people, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He wants the heart. Those people from the heart that have received him, they're saved forever.
Isn't that good news? Okay. Would you repeat that prayer? Would I repeat what prayer? John Bunyan. John Bunyan. When thou prayest, rather let thy heart be without words than thy words without a heart. Don't just say the words. You guys good for 12 minutes and 13 seconds? Good. Let's wrap up Ephesians 6. This, uh, now, I've got to tell you something. I feel a little guilty, but I'm out of weeks. We've got to wrap it up tonight. Uh, I, I, I tried to space this out, but I didn't do it real well. Uh, the reason I'm a little guilty, if you look at Ephesians 6 at the tail end, the, the last piece of armor we covered last week in verse 17, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then he, he says this. He says in verse 18, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times, in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let me make a comment on the 18, 19, and 20. I mentioned to you guys William Gurnall, the old Puritan pastor that uh, wrote the volumes uh, The Christian in Complete Armor. If you get the old hardback edition, they, uh, it's 1,200 pages, double-columned, which means if it's a, a normal layout, it would be 2,400 pages on how many verses? Ten verses. 2,400 pages on ten verses. Now, the, the old copy I had, loaned to somebody, I don't know where it is, I went and bought this, the newer paperback paraphrased abridgment. You know what abridgment means? It means they edited it. And what I realized recently was that my abridged copy stops with verse 17, but he wrote 300 more pages on verses 18, 19, and 20. Because you see, there is a correlation between putting on the full armor of God and praying. What is praying? Praying is not for our benefit. I take it back. Praying is for our benefit. Here's, what I'm, here's my danger right now. Because I'm watching that clock, and uh, I realize I've got more to say than I can say. So I start talking too fast, and I say things incorrectly. So, let's back up. Prayer is not for God's benefit. Prayer is for our benefit. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then the next words Jesus says is, when you pray, pray like this. Well, see, to me, I go, wait a minute. Wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I got, I got a question. I got a question. Remember doing that in class in third grade? They wouldn't call on you, and you just kind of, you get you worn out. And... It's a really important question. Okay. I got a question. All right, what's your question? My question is, if the Father knows what I need before I ask him, then why should I pray? The answer is because Jesus said, when you pray. Jesus said pray. Prayer is not to inform God. Prayer is to help me. Prayer is a help. That's what prayer is. Prayer is an acknowledgement 
Am I in battle? Have I put on the full armor of God? Yes, but as I'm putting on the armor of God, I better be putting on the armor of God with all prayer and petition. Because He is my source, He is my Father, He is my protector, He is my helper, He is my sovereign keeper. He is the one who protects me. To uh, King Jehoshaphat, as he, as, as he had this army attacking, the Lord said to him, Know this, the battle is not yours, the battle is mine. Jesus said in John 15, Apart from me, uh, you can do quite a few things. You go to a Tony Robbins seminar, you go over here, you read this book, and yeah, you're good. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do what? You can do nothing. Prayer, ultimately, prayer, when you get right down to it, prayer is an acknowledgement that I need his help. Prayer is acknowledgement that I can't fight the battle. Prayer is the acknowledgement that I can't handle life. Prayer is, I remember in college talking to a guy and he's saying, oh, you're just, you know, you're just weak. You just need a crutch. Yeah, you Christians, you just need a crutch. I said, I don't need a crutch, I need a stretcher. You don't know how bad off I am, man. And you're as bad off as I am. He didn't want to hear that. And see, that's what, that's what God does. A lot of guys in here, you know, what, you know what God's done in our lives? We thought we were tough. We thought we were strong. We were self-made men. We thought we could handle it. And then we hit a brick wall going 190 miles an hour. And then you find out what you're made of. And you're broken and you're bleeding and you're crushed and you can hardly breathe. You cannot take a breath if he doesn't help you. Can you? So God takes strong men, he makes them weak, and he puts us in a place of dependence upon him. That's what prayer is. Stuff gets weird in church. Churches get weird. If, if, if you were raised in church, you've had to work through stuff. If you were raised in church, you've had issues. If you were raised in church, and I don't care what your denomination was, I don't care what your background was, I don't care what the doctrine was, if you were raised in a church setting where that was a major part of your life as a kid coming up, you've got issues that you're going to have to work through. You're going to be cynical, you're going to be sarcastic, you're going to see hypocrisy, you're going to see this, and that didn't make sense, and that's stupid, and that doesn't relate, and they got these Mickey Mouse rules on, and it's all true. It's all true. And I, I you know, I'm in my 60s, and I see younger churches getting going and doing things, and these guys who come out of, you know, situations, well, and, and they often mock the church, you know, well, we're not doing this, and now you know, everybody laughs. And, and it's, it's, it's not bad because a lot of kids are just so turned off. You put them on Christ. But what's funny to me about the young churches that are getting now and are saying, we're not going to be like that. You know what they're doing? They're screwing up on other areas. And when their kids grow up, they're going to be mocking them. It happens every generation. Because people are screwed up. People are in the church. And if you get your eyes on people, you're in trouble. You put your eyes on Christ. He is my helper. He is my sovereign keeper. He is my defender. Uh, uh, prayer is interesting to me because um, 
First, first of all, we have to get to a point where we realize that we need the Father's help. And before we come to Christ, that means that usually there has to be some kind of catharsis or some kind of crisis that gets our attention. Uh, flip over to me with me to the Robinson Crusoe psalm, if you would, which, as you know, is Psalm 50. The Robinson Crusoe song. Yeah. I'm sure what I mean. Uh, as, as you're going there, I, I want to make a couple comments because the clock is ticking. In this passage, it's, and, and I just hit this real quick because we're going to Robinson Crusoe. Psalm 50, 15. It says in here, pray at all times in Ephesians 6. And guy says, what does that mean? And I mean, well, how, I can't pray all the time. No, you can't pray all the time. But what that means is you, 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 it means you've got a dedicated fax line. That as you're going about your day, as you're going out at your business, you're, you're hooked in. You're connected. It means as you're going about your day, you're online with Christ all the time. So I'm making a phone call this morning. As I hear the dee, 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 I say, you know, Lord, give me wisdom on this call. Give me wisdom. That was a quick prayer. That's all I said. Then I talked to the guy for 15 minutes. And was I praying as I was talking to the guy? No, because I get distracted. So I'm talking to the guy. But I was still online with the Lord. I was asking him to lead me. Oh, and you see, which goes on and says, pray. I'm, I'm going to get to Robinson Crusoe, but I don't want to forget this. With all prayer, prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. What does it mean to be praying in the Spirit? It means you're led by the Spirit. So as I just said, Lord, lead me on this phone call, and then I'm talking to the guy, and something came up. I'm asking the Spirit of God to give me wisdom and to lead me in the realm of the Spirit. It, it, this stuff isn't mystical. It's just real simple. I need you to lead me. Do you ever need wisdom in a moment you're not sure what to say and all of a sudden you got it? Jesus said to the disciples when they pull you up before the council, it shall be, don't worry about what you're going to say. It shall be given to you in that moment. It shall be given to you in that hour. Don't freak out about what you're going to say. I'll give it to you when you need it. That's being led by, that's praying in the Spirit. Blair. Hmm? Blair yeah, yeah, that's right. Let's go, let's go to Robinson Crusoe. Why do I call it Robinson Crusoe, Psalm 50, verse 15? Uh, call on me in the day of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will honor me. Uh, there was a movie out with Tom Hanks a few years ago where he was, uh, had a plane crash and winds up deserted on this island in the middle of nowhere. Castaway. You saw it last night. I don't like that movie. When I saw the movie, and here's what he, here's what he does. And this speaks of our age. So what does this guy do? He's destitute. He's trying to save his life. He thinks there might be cannibals on the island. He's trying to survive. He's trying to live. He, he's, he's a modern-day tech guy. He doesn't know how to build a fire. Uh, and, and he's lonely, and he's obscure, and he's distant from civilization. And he's not there a couple of days. He's there for years. Oh, and what is it? He's des he is desperate. He is desperate. He's in a survival mode. And what does he do? Not once does he call out to God. He takes a volleyball Wilson. named Wilson. And you know what he did with Wilson? You know what that volleyball was? That became his idol. It was an idol. Yes, it was. So when I saw that movie, it bothered me to the point that I went and found my copy of Robinson Crusoe. And I read it cover to cover. 
in two days. Robinson Crusoe was written by a guy named Daniel Defoe in a different age, an age where people believed the Word of God and were taught the Word of God. Daniel Defoe tells a story, made up a story about a young man named Robinson Crusoe who had a father who was a godly man, a father who loved his son, Robinson. But as young Robinson grew up, he had issues with the church. He had issues with the hypocrisy. He didn't like what he saw. And he rebelled. His father knew his son, knew his gifting, knew his strengths, provided an educational opportunity for him, which the son did not want, which the son rebelled against, would not listen to the wisdom of his father, ran off, got on a ship, much like Jonah, went away from his father, and the ship was shipwrecked. As the ship was going down, he called out to God and said, if you will deliver me and save my life, I will go back home and listen to my father and follow my father's wisdom, and I'll follow you. The Lord delivered him. Did he follow the Lord? Did he follow his father? No. He gets on another ship. And the captain is asking about his experience. He tells him what happened. The captain begins to probe who's a Christian man and begins to figure out that here's a young man who's on the run, on the run from his father and on the run from God the Father. And uh, Robinson Crusoe doesn't like the man asking him questions. So he leaves, goes and gets on another ship where they didn't ask him any questions, and that's the ship that is shipwrecked. And he finds himself on this remote island. You know the story from there. But you see, when Robinson Crusoe found himself in a battle for his life and in a battle for his soul, he remembered the words of Psalm 50, verse 15, which says, Call on me in the day of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will honor me. That's the entire message of Robinson Crusoe. When C.H. Spurgeon preached on Psalm 50, he said, I want you to turn to the Robinson Crusoe psalm. And most people in his audience knew what he was talking about because they knew the story from their literature. I, I want to say something. I, I, there's a little, I, I want to say something about prayer. It all goes back to the Father. Um, I, don't, I don't want you to raise your hands on this. But if you had a father that loved you, and not all you guys had fathers like this, if you had a father who loved you, if you had a father that spent time with you, if you had a father that provided for you, that listened to you, if you had a father that disciplined you, if you had a father that cared for you, that would... Uh, uh, throw the baseball with you. If, you. if you had a dad who was a good dad and loved you and you knew that you were loved, you enjoyed being in his presence, you enjoyed doing stuff with him, you enjoyed talking with him. There would be times as you got older when you were stuck and you were confused, but because of the years of relationship and the trust, you could talk to your dad about anything. I remember when I got a job, my senior year in high school, my dad helped me get a, land an unbelievable job doing valet parking at the San Francisco airport. I was the youngest guy that got that, that, got that job. I was working guys with, that are 30, 35, 40 years old, and my dad knew had a buddy who ran the deal, and I got a job. And the money I was making was unbelievable. And I remember before I went in the first time, my dad said, Steve, I want to tell you something. 
this is a great job, and you can save some money. This is a great opportunity. But I want to tell you about who you're going to run into at this job. And I want to tell you what you've got to watch out for. You're going to have this happen. You're going to have guys say this to you. You're going to have guys say this. You've got guys up there that are drug addicts. You've got guys that do this. You got to do... And I remember the night. I remember the night. I'd been there six, eight, nine months. I couldn't start my car. I got off at midnight. I was in the parking lot at 1. I couldn't start my car. One of the guys I worked with saw my situation. He said, hey, can I help you? We tried to jump it. It wouldn't work. He said, hey, I'll give you a ride home. And I, I said, okay, because he lived maybe 10 minutes from my house. I said, fine. We get in the car, and we're driving down the road, and he pulls his packet out, and he has this white powder. He said, hey, you ever, you ever tried this stuff? I said, what is it? As I wet my pants. <laughs> he said, oh, it's called cocaine. And I said, yeah, I, I, no, I don't want that stuff. He said, it's really good stuff. You ought to try it. I said, yeah, I don't want it. He said, no, you ought to try it. It's really good. I said, well, I'm not trying it. And what I want you to do is I want you to, I want you to drive me home. And there was more to the story I don't have time to get into. And he said, fine, you don't need to get all upset. I said, I am upset. I don't want anything to do with that. I want you to take me home. This guy was my supervisor. So I got home. I walked in, knocked on my dad's bedroom door. My dad got up, came out, his hair all tasseled out, his jockey shorts, the elastic wasn't right. <laughs> It's a men's Bible study, guys. <laughs> I never get this. We're in the kitchen. My dad comes out. His hair's all messed up. It's about 2.30 in the morning. He's in his jockeys. My dad's up against the refrigerator listening to me. I said, Dad, let me tell you what happened. And he's listening. Suddenly, he's honing in. I said, here's what happened. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. And I said, Dad, you know what? I've got to go back there and work tomorrow, and I'm not sure what that guy's going to do because he's my boss. He said, okay, well, here's what you do. I said, you told me this was going to happen. He goes, yeah, I know. He said, you handled it right. Now, let me tell you what you're going to do tomorrow. And I did it. And everything was fine. Huh? I did what my dad said. He told me exactly what to do. He said, don't say a thing. You just show up and punch in and work. And he's not going to say anything because he's more scared than you are. Because he knows how you got this job. Actually, he didn't say that. But I was thinking it. My dad was buddies with the top guy. And that guy knew, because I was the only 17-year-old working in that joint. My dad said, you don't need to worry. He's more scared than you are. You're, you're good. Go get some sleep. I said, okay. I said, you need to buy some jockeys, Dad. <laughs> now, can I tell you something? Some of you guys didn't have a father like that. You had a father that was distant. Maybe you don't know his name. Maybe you don't even know who your dad is. Maybe your dad was abusive. Maybe your dad said things to you, you can never do anything right. What's the matter with you? You're a failure. You'll never measure up. You know, you, you know, I'm disappointed. Maybe that's all you ever heard. If that's the kind of father that you had, you're going to have to work through some things when it comes to prayer. Because, you see, prayer is simply going into the presence of your father through the name of Jesus. Can I show you something in, in, in Romans 8? I'm out of time, but I haven't obeyed that clock all year. Why should I start now? Can I show you something in Romans 8 on prayer? Because, you know, guys, again, Ephesians 6 is all about spiritual battle. Why is it that we don't pray? Well, I don't know how to pray. What do you mean by that? Well, I can't pray those 
you know, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I've had guys say to me, you know, I love to come on Sunday. I just love to hear Chuck pray. So do I. And you know what he's doing? He's just talking. Chuck's not trying to impress anybody. He doesn't write out his prayers. He's just talking to the Lord, right? Oh, I wish I could pray like that. Well, you may never be as articulate as Chuck. You see? Well, that's okay. Because what does God look at? God looks at the heart. Well, I can't pray like that. You don't need to pray. Just be you. Howard Hendricks tells that great story about the guy that was converted, came to the Bible study in his house. Guy didn't know, he didn't know anything. He didn't know up from down. He'd never been in church his whole life. And they were praying in a group, and the guy didn't know how to, and he said, well, I'm not comfortable praying in a group with him. And the prophet said, that's fine. You don't need to pray. Just be your, and one night the guy said to the prophet, hey, I'd like to pray. The prophet said, well, that's great. The prophet said, well, go ahead. And the guy says, uh, uh, Lord, this is Joe. That's how he started. Hey, Lord, this is Joe. Like, God didn't see his name tag. <laughs> and, and Hendrick said it was the sweetest prayer. Everybody was, everybody was on the verge of tears because it was from the heart. It was from the heart. Look at Romans 8. Look at verse 32. See, the enemy says you're not qualified to pray. The enemy says, oh, you sinned. You can't go into the Father's presence. Who are you to pray? Who are... Watch this. He who did not spare his own son, 832 of Romans, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? That is an amazing passage. Who was it that delivered up his own son? Who did not spare his own son? The Father, my Father. My father gave his son for me. Does he know I fall short? Yes. Does he know I sin? Yes. Does he know I have temper issues? Does he know I am impatient? Does he know that? Yes. And Jesus paid it all on the cross. Am I growing? Yes, but I'm growing slowly. And the enemy will say, you, you can't go in. You're not qualified. You can't talk to the father. Listen, your father knows you inside and out. He knows your heart. He knows that you're dust. And all you do is you just go into his presence and you just talk to him. And you just pour out his heart. You just pour out your heart to him. One of the old Puritan pastors said, God has answered every prayer I have ever prayed. He either gave me what I asked for or he gave me what I should have asked for. That's brilliant. So you're in spiritual warfare? Yeah, you are. So what do you need to do? You put on the armor with all prayer. A dependence, Lord, I need you to help me. I need you to help me fight this lust. I need you to help me fight this lying. I need you to help me trust this impatience. I, Lord, I just, you're just telling me you need, I just need you. I need you in my life. It's, it's, it's a statement of dependence. Yes, there's thanksgiving. Yes, there's adoration. Yes, there's, there's, there's confession. But you should know this, that you go into his presence. Psalm 56, 9, this I know that God is for me. If he gave up his own son for me, why would he not give me all things? He's not against you. He's for you. So you, by the blood of Jesus, Hebrews says, we walk, we enter into the holy place and we talk to our Father. You know what a privilege that is? I I would say one final word. Um, We we are in spiritual battle. Um, Your kids and your grandkids are in spiritual battle. In 1959, Martin Lloyd-Jones got up at Westminster Chapel 
when he was teaching on Ephesians 6 and where it says, it says in that passage, it talks about that we might resist in the evil day. And Lloyd-Jones got up and he said in 1959, he said, we are living in days of exceptional evil. In 59. He wouldn't believe where we are today. If that's exceptional evil, what is this? Uh, pray for your kids. Pray for your grandkids. This has been a great year for us because, you know, each of my kids has found a mate and they're married. John's going to be married this week. I was up early this morning and I was thinking about John. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about I was thinking about when he was born. I remember being in that, I remember being there in that uh, uh, hospital room in uh, Kaiser Hospital in Redwood City, California. And I remember the Lamas and the pant blows and uh, that was me, actually. Uh, they gave me a local uh, just to help me through all that. And suddenly there he was. And it was, you had nurses, and there was a woman doctor. I was the only guy in the room. And they cut the cord, and they started telling her, I said, hold on, give me, give me him. And that, that woman doctor, she looked at me, and she had the mask on. Boy, she, she had those dart eyes. She looked at me like, I'm in control here. That's my son. I didn't, I, didn't, I just said, give me, give me him. I want to hold him. And then I got right next to Mary, and we held him, and I prayed for him. And I, right there, dedicated him to the Lord. And I prayed that God would use him. I prayed that God would help him to find his gifts that he'd been given in the womb. I prayed that uh, God would regenerate him and bring him to Christ at the right moment. I prayed that God would give him a wife that would walk through life with him. And she wouldn't even be conceived for seven years. I prayed for her for seven years before she was conceived, but God knew who she was. So I expect her to do it right. That's a little joke, guys. She's a sweetheart. Oh, you know what's interesting? Her folks have prayed for her since before she was born. I tell you, these two kids are getting married this weekend, and they've been prayed for. And even in the rebellion years, John was prayed for. You just keep praying. You just keep praying. He says, Steve, I've been praying. My kids are far away from the Lord. George, George Mueller had two men he prayed for for over 50 years. They never came to the Lord. But he just kept praying. And shortly before Mueller died, one of the men came to Christ. After Mueller died, within weeks, the second man came to Christ. You just keep praying. It's the Father's will. If he's put a burden on your heart, it's of his spirit. He will work even when you're removed from the scene. He'll fight for you and he'll fight for your family. You don't need to pray long hours, but you just need to pray often. 
Just shoot up the prayers when you're driving. Shoot them up when you're sipping some coffee. Your daughter comes to your mind, just pray for her. Just real quick. That's, uh, that's my cue. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. We can never exhaust the principles in your word. I thank you for these guys. Thank you for their hearts. Thank you for their lives. Uh, we all are in uh, need of you to sustain us and to keep us going. We're all fighting our battles. We're all being attacked in different ways, in different uh, circumstances. And we need to put on that full armor, consciously praying and looking to you for help and sustenance and the right answer at the right time. And some of us have been praying and praying and praying, and we're starting to wonder if this prayer is going to be denied, yet we still have a burden to pray. And someone has said that God's, God's delays are not God's denials. So we keep praying, and we keep trusting, and you keep sustaining, and you keep making a way. May your favor be upon us until we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.